Edith sent her thief to steal me from my throne and bring me back as her puppet. I think Edith does not understand my attachment to my allies, the Medes. She carefully did not look at Nuzresh. Her voice was hard. She leaned forward in her seat, the fabric of her long skirts bunched in her hands as if she were holding the prisoner's attention with them. When he thought I was safely distant from any rescue, her thief proposed life or death to me and let me choose my fate. I am in my own Megaron and have an answer to the thief's proposal. Do you know what my answer is? Yes, the prisoner said. Yes, the queen repeated after him, enunciating the word clearly. You may tell the queen of Edis. Minister of War, blink twice if you understand. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief. It's July 14th, 2019. This week, we're discussing the Queen of Atolia, Chapter 17, in which Atolia, Moira, and Nehuzresh are all up to something while Eugenides despairs in the mud. This chapter is the reason that this story will never be adapted for the screen. Mm. Because what age group would a film or television adaptation of these books be aimed at? Mature adults. Mature adults! <laughs> but the books... When when this book was published, it was marketed at the 8 to 12 age range. Middle grades, my friend, which I know we've talked about before. This back half of this book in particular is where it starts to get really intense. Very there's, like There's very personal violence in this chapter. And there's also mass violence. There are bodies hanging from the walls of the Megaron. Maybe the thief would not be rated R, but the rest of it. And it's interesting that what would be considered inappropriate for children on the screen is not considered inappropriate for children in a book. Right. It's all right to instruct a child to imagine a dead body hanging from some parapets. But you can't show it to them. I guess the idea is that uh, a child is not able to accurately imagine how gruesome that would look. Could be. Maybe they think that, maybe whoever made that marketing decision would think that uh, children maybe don't have, like they wouldn't be able to conceptualize it as well. But also, maybe this book was just put into the 8 to 12 age range because that was what the thief was. So mm-hmm. whoever made that decision in the marketing process maybe didn't know the content of the book, but just assumed. And the books have now been repackaged right. for teenagers. They've left middle grade and gone to YA land. With Game of Thrones-esque covers. <laughs> really trying to capitalize on that as much as they possibly can. Yes. Just some examples of the violence in this chapter. The two soldiers that Eugenides is chained to to stop him from escaping, uh, they offer to jump off a cliff with him and sacrifice their lives so that he doesn't have to die by inches. Yeah, so that he can have a quick death. Mm -hmm. And then later, uh, Jen's own father attempts to strangle him out of mercy, which is an image that has never left my mind. And I'm sure has never left his mind, or Jen's mind, or Atolia's mind. We haven't seen a whole lot of Atolia and the Minister of War's dynamic after this incident, shall we call it? 
and I'm very curious about it. Yeah, I want to see, like, I think I remember in the negotiations coming up in a few chapters, I mean, well, maybe we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves, but <laughs> we don't see anything in the King of Atolia with the two of them, do we? He's there, and he's with... Wait, no, 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 never mind, I'm wrong. I think he's not even in that one, but he is in Conspiracy of Kings. Mm-hmm. But we never see him with Atolia, I don't think. We're always very distant from his internal life. Yeah. All we got is the external. And his, his, we're extra distant from his actions here because he's made himself anonymous. When she calls the Minister of War over and just picks him as a messenger, um, she asks, you are a soldier, and he says, I am, your majesty, and she says, you don't seem to have risen far for your years, and he says, maybe I'm not ambitious, and she says, maybe you should drink less. The man narrowed his eyes at the insult, but didn't contest the implication that he was a drunk. What is that about? Is she trying to, like, the, what I can think of is, um, is she trying to throw Nehuzeresh off the scent by that comment? Uh, I think that when she says, you don't seem to have risen far for your years, she's attempting to communicate to him that she knows what's up. Oh, okay. And then the 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 other end of that is to take it back into the what she wants everybody else to think. Yeah. She There's, can't be on chummy terms with enemies. Yeah. In Hussar's eyes. And that is like it's a non sequitur in relation to this coded conversation that she's having with the Minister of War, but it yeah. makes sense to Nahusharash. And there's like a, a constant bit of light footwork in this whole conversation yeah where she's like here's what i really mean and here's the diversion here's what i really mean and here's the diversion (laughs) and it makes me wonder i mean i the whole back half of this book is new all over again to me (laughs) and so i don't know at this point if he's fully understanding what she's trying to tell him because he did just get kicked in the head yeah really hard her narration is full of ambiguity like the prisoner just stared at her dully and she couldn't be sure how much he understood and yeah so, like she's really doubtful is any of this getting to him and she wonders what did eugenity say to him in the few minutes they had before he was pulled out mm-hmm. because jen at this point 100 percent believes that it's over and he's failed and it's done. No, because right before this, um, she goes to Jen, pulls his head up. She has his earrings in. He's wearing. She wear. She's wearing the earrings. I thought yeah. she wasn't wearing the earrings. Oh no, God! Did you miss this? Let me read it to you. <gasps> Listen. Look at this. That changes this whole chapter. Yeah. Look. Okay. Let me find it. Oh my God. Okay. So she gets back. Her attendants waited with warmed robes as she's... Okay, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. She sat... (laughs) Fancy stuff. We're rich. (laughs) She sat in a chair to have her hair combed. Aglaia tugged at the queen's ear and started to slide a wire through the lobe with a golden bee swinging from its lower loop. Not those, Atolia said sharply. Because after that, in the paragraph break where you don't know what happened, she told them, give me the ruby earrings. Oh my gosh! And then... 
<gasps> Bending over Eugenides, she grabbed his head by the hair above his forehead and twisted, etc. She wanted to looking, make sure he was looking her in yes, the face. <gasps> looking up at her with her face filling his field of vision, he stopped moving as if suddenly paralyzed. Goatfoot, she said, do you understand what is going to happen to you? His mouth hung open and she, he closed his eyes a moment, then opened them to go on staring at her. Yes, he said at last, his voice breathy and hoarse. Good, said Atolia, and dropped him to walk away through the prisoners without a backward glance. I want to send a message to the Queen of Edis. So, he knows from seeing the earrings at that point that she's on board, they're gonna kick the meat out, they're gonna get married. He now, we can assume, has a few minutes to tell the Minister of War we're good. And then she gets the Minister of War and says, go back to Edis, send her the message that I will not return her thief a second time. What remains of his life, he spends with me. Right, that part Do you I understand? Understood. Wow. Yeah, I had thought of this as being a much more, like, uncertain and risky communication than it was. Yeah, without the earrings, that would have made no sense and probably wouldn't have worked. That's so interesting because she, like, she had built that contingency plan in. When she specifically said, when I'm willing to marry you, I will wear your earrings, not before. Like, that was building in a situation where she could tacitly send him a message if she couldn't speak to him. Mm. And I, I feel you like mean, that you was... think when she, when she said that, she was thinking of contingency plans? Yes. I thought she was just angry. I think that she, she knows that she has to oust the need. And she wants to keep all of her options open mm. at that point. And she knows that she might end up in this exact situation mm. and she understands that there is a possible benefit to assenting to this yeah and so i do i do think that it was a plan uh-huh wow His book man <laughs> right and that she refuses earrings which are a, a bee which can sting you yeah but up to that point Jen does believe that right. he is a dead man. Yeah, up until getting strangled, etc. He's praying to the gods to, or to his gods specifically, if you can't save me, at least make me less frightened. Mm -hmm. Something else that just makes this, makes this book hit so hard is that the gods have planned for all of this to happen. Yep. And Moira appears to Nehusaresh and tells him how to disrupt Jen's plan and, and where... Atolia will be. Although not what Jen's plan is, because he doesn't know, right. which is essential to this working. Yeah. Because Atolia wouldn't have... If Atolia hadn't been in a situation where the Meads were on her doorstep, she wouldn't have agreed to marry Jen. Yes or no? That's an interesting question, because we don't know exactly what her other option would have been. Yeah. Um... But also, I would say that if the Meads had not been on her doorstep, uh, none of this would have been necessary. Like, Edis might still have been thinking about deposing her. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if the Meads weren't there, Eugenides would have been dead right after mm -hmm. getting captured. He wouldn't have lost his hand, mm -hmm. etc. So I think it, it it is all still very bound up. The entire situation. Yeah, like every single little domino it's mead is crucial. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a there's a, this situation where Jen has all the power and he says I want to marry you and then it flips 
Anatolia has all the power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she agrees. And during their marriage, it doesn't feel like there's power and they share it. It feels like each of them has all the power and they're acting uh, simultaneously or in concert. And there's also all that about Atolia is trying to make Jen use that power overtly Mm -hmm. as opposed to covertly in just supporting her and working in the shadows and so once once they're married at the end of this they have to figure out a relationship of equals Mm -hmm. so the what i want to get to the bottom of is why the gods specifically want Nehusaresh to come in and quote-unquote rescue Atolia and for this whole sequence of events in this chapter to occur as opposed to just her agreeing to marry him post-boat. Oh, because if Nehusaresh had not planned this whole rescue, etc., they never would have gotten... It, well, it would have been much harder for them to get rid of Nehusaresh because... Once he's landed an army, they can oust him? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But otherwise, if, uh, you know, if Atolia had agreed to get married and wasn't rescued and then showed back up at Afrata, she would not have had a diplomatic or other acceptable reason to say, get off my coast. Mm-hmm. Waira appears to Nehusaresh and he doesn't interpret it as a religious experience at all. And I don't know if that's, she specifically very convincingly disguises herself as a human being Mm -hmm. or if it's just that he because he doesn't have a connection to her or to the place that she represents that he that's not what it means to him i think that definitely could be part of it but i also think he sees what he expects to see Mm -hmm. um like if we contrast this with uh how we know moira appeared to atolia we don't know anything about her first appearance to Atolia, except that it happened and she told Atolia, if you have your men nail boards to the trees, you'll catch the identity. So we don't know how did Atolia react to, to this strange woman appearing and saying her name, but we can assume she must have identified Moira as a goddess. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, how would she know, etc.? And Atolia understands when Husaresh describes this encounter that it's Moira who yeah. he has seen. Right. And she asks the attendants about it, I think, to make sure. Mm-hmm. But after they're like, we don't know who you're talking about, who's that lady? She she says, I do. Yeah. No, no matter. And this chapter has so many foreshadowing moments that you get on the second read of Atolia setting up to strike Nehusresh. Like when he's telling her about Moira, uh, he says, If it was Talaeus's woman who told me of Eugenides' goal... His goal, Atolia asked sharply, the Prycus, he said. So she's still, at that point, trying to make sure he doesn't find out the ruse. Mm-hmm. Not the ruse, but... So he's she's still trying to make sure that he doesn't know what, what the whole plan is, because then he'll, you know, wreck it. Yeah, so once again, something depends on uh, somebody not understanding someone else's motivations. Yeah. Another instance is... After she's sent the Minister of War back to Thetis, it says, Atolia flicked Nehusresh a glance below her narrowed eyelids. Now we wait, she said, not bothering to hide her smile of delighted anticipation. 
So Nahuzurish thinks she's delightedly anticipating Edith's reaction, but no, she's anticipating, like, kicking his butt. Yeah. <laughs> Take your beard oil and go. <laughs> and Nahuzurish, he is totally confident. Yes. He's relaxed. He's sitting back. He's killing people left and right. And he's, he's sure, oh, I just her. killed a bunch of people. Yeah. I'm sure you won't mind. <laughs> I just hung some of your barons in your name. let me take care of this for you. <laughs> that inconvenient little murder that we all have to do every <laughs> once in a while. It's lucky that he didn't kill like the essential people that she needs he didn't kill Talaeus. yeah he's super ruthless in this chapter but we see that also contrasted with uh Kamet has some moral qualms here or at least or, it's implied that maybe he yeah is. yeah not qualms but it's implied that he's not you know on the same fully on the same page with Nehuzrash mm-hmm. which has already been in the book but it says that um Kamet says, if she dies, there will be an internal war for the throne. And Nehuzurish answers, and someone will surely wish for the assistance of our emperor, with a confident smile. Be careful what you wish for, Kamet had murmured under his breath. Yeah, and so he's a little, he's a little bit disquieted. Mm-hmm. Kamet, he's, he's so close and yet so far away yeah. from his grand adventure. Mm. And it's great that, I mean, Nehuzeresh, he appears so much in this book, and he gets to talk so much in this book, and he's such a big threat in this book. And then in Kamet's book, he doesn't appear at all. He's just an idea. Mm-hmm. I like that contrast. Yeah, in that book, you see him solely through his effect on Kamet. Yeah. And what he's done to Kamet, how he's, how he's molded Kamet as a person. Whereas in, in this book, there's uh, Nehusaresh and he has a secretary who's a slave and the power dynamic is implied, but it's just sort of a thing that's there, a little world building thing. And then in Thick as Thieves, that's reversed and we get to see Kamet's internal life. Yeah. Like Kamet even laughs at something he says yeah. in this chapter, but then when it gets to his actual book, you see more of the reality yeah you see what it's been for him Kamet is telling him what he wants to hear right another thing that's mentioned in this book is uh Nehusaresh talks about what will happen if Atolia dies and why it doesn't benefit Edis to kill her and he says her titular heir is not fond of the mead but he would not hold the throne long so who's that yeah and is that person still her heir going forward in the absence of children? I would have to... Well, I was just going to say I would have to assume as much, but I actually think that Eugenity stepping in and having Edis have such a stake in that country has maybe changed the heir situation. I but maybe not. know how their succession works. Yeah, I would assume... In the absence of children, you have to designate an heir. Yeah. Um, but which is this heir currently be... someone she's designated? I assume as much. Huh. Well, actually, we don't know. It could be any... Yes, actually, I think we can infer as much because let's say that... So, we know... 
if the throne would automatically go to the nearest male relative, it could be like a cousin would mm-hmm. be her titular heir. And but she was able to inherit. But I think that was less because the secession. I mean, yes. Um, what was I gonna say? I was yes. She wasn't able to inherit, but she was gonna have a husband. Mm-hmm. And then I've kind of been thinking that the only reason she kept her throne without a husband was because she was such a threat. Because yeah. you know the cousin would not have been able to seize the throne the throne from her. Mm-hmm. But maybe otherwise, maybe the throne would have gone to the cousin. I don't know. I'm interested. We should ask Megan at the at the Reddit AMA in the fall. Yeah, we have an ever-expanding list of things to ask her at the Reddit AMA. What is she going to say to anyone during that, though? Yeah, is she just going to copy and paste not telling into the box over and over? I would not put that past her. <laughs> I'm excited to see. <laughs> um, Myra disguises herself as one of Atolia's attendants in um, recognizable dark robes that they wear. So... You pointed out to me that this kind of means they wear uniforms, which is just funny. Yeah. This must mean that they, they're they meant to be recognized on site. Yeah. They're her backup dancers. <laughs> also that he sort of glimpsed her true form out of the corner of his eye. Yeah. That's also fun. That's chapter 17. Next week, Atolia does some diplomacy in her own name in my probably favorite scene of this entire series oh it's so satisfying i'm so pumped send us your comments questions and thoughts chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com be Be blessed blessed in your endeavors thank you for listening this has been an amateur embroidery production find us on itunes stitcher google podcasts anywhere podcasts are available